turn your Bible to John chapter 3 if you have one, or if you uh, want to grab one of the P-Rack in front of you, or use an app on your phone, that's fine too. I'm going to reorganize my table up here. So we're pursuing um, this, this theme, this series, uh, written so that you may believe. And we're, we're seeing that, that all of the works of Christ, all of the life of Christ, all of the words of Christ as, as given to us in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we, we know from the verse in John 20 that these are written down, these are indicated to us, they're given to us that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and by believing we might have life in his name. So this is what the scriptures are all about. And, and, and for me, I don't know about you, it, it's, it, I've gone through these weird emotional waves. And I, I'll be raw with you a little more than the first service that was live, you know, like the camera thing, right? But, but for you and I, like, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, when I first started this, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm seeing all these instances of Jesus and how all of it points to him. And it's all about him that we could have life in his name. It's proving who he is and that we can run to him. And, and for so long, I just thought, oh, this is an account, a story of this person, Jesus, who, of course, I thought was God and he's my savior. But, but this has just heightened it for me and it's, it's made it bigger. But at the same time, I'm like, every single story is written that we might believe. I kind of get, get tired. Kinda get, I feel like, man, this is, again, another one. And here's what I'm feeling. I, I, I wonder what Jesus would have felt. Because again and again and again, over and over, it was written and shown and seen and done and said so that they, the people that they were around, he was around, would see and believe that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that they would have life in his name. And, and they may, maybe they got tired of it. I'm sure Jesus got tired of saying it over and over and over again. And what about us? Like from my own heart, I'm like, man, I'm, I almost feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting bored of the same theme over and over and over again. But it's so, so important for us to grab it, for us to understand that this is all pointing to Jesus. It's not Jesus minor, it's Jesus major. It is, it is full on in our face, all about Jesus as the Messiah, and that you and I could have life because of him. And that's where our hope lies. That's where we should rest. And, and today as we look at uh, being born again as a sermon title, we're seeing this conversation that started last week with Nicodemus and goes into this week. And, and we're talking about being born again. We're talking about the, the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? We're going to go through that today and, and look at that a little more. But, but I know there's kind of two, two positions, I would say, here today. Well, maybe three. One is this, that you, you do not have a, a real saving faith in Jesus Christ. Like, like you have not come to believe in the authority of, of Jesus as the as Messiah. You've not understood your need for a Savior because of your own sin. You've not believed in the one that was sent to save us from our sin and to save us from judgment. You haven't done that. So today, this is hope for you. There's kind of a roadmap Jesus gives to Nicodemus, who, who is also searching and, and hasn't done that either. But he's wondering. He's, has, he's, he's at least there having an honest conversation. So I hope that you're here ready to have an honest conversation with you and God, right? That's, that's the hope. But then there's th those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus. And, and here's what I would say. That, that there's two camps there. One is we just rejoice and rejoice and rejoice because it's so amazing what God has done, and we just want to overflow with rejoicing and overflow with more of the Word and, and celebrate the Word as we read it. We're like, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's so cool. And you know it, and you just you keep on holding on to it, right? But the other part is that we have trusted Christ as Savior, but, but here's, here's the pattern we fall into. When we kind of stray away from maybe His Word or stray away from really being informed by Scripture, and we really like, don't let it be reminding us over and over again of, of who we are and, and who we are in Christ and, and finding our identity in Christ. We come to that place, again, where the Pharisees went, where they placed burdens upon not only their shoulders, but the people's shoulders. And, and the burden was this. Yeah, 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 Jesus stuff, Messiah stuff, but I'm going to work it out on my own too. 
I'll figure it out. I'll go, I'll go it alone. And we don't, and listen, I know this. Even as a Christian, I don't say that. I don't look in the mirror and say, I'm going to go it alone today. I, I wake up, God, this is your day. I, I trust you. But, but then I, I kind of mosey into my own strength, don't I? I mosey into my own abilities. And listen, that burden is tiresome. So today as we go through this text, for you, if you're, if you're tired of carrying that burden, see that that burden isn't supposed to be carried by you. That there should be a freedom we have in Christ away from judgment, away from the burden of the law and burden of sin. That we can live in Christ as new creations because of what he's done for us. So that's what we're going to see. I think there's kind of three camps we'll see today. And, and, and it's one of those texts that even today as I went through it this morning, I, I'm like, this is a little just kind of going, going through it. Here's what Jesus did again. But I really want us to see it afresh. I want us to see it new for your own heart of what Jesus has accomplished for you. And either run to him as Savior or embrace him as a Savior he has been for you all the time and take the burden off your shoulders or just continue to rejoice that this is what he has done for us. All right? So we came, we came from last week. And last week Nicodemus came in the dark of the night and he came to approach Jesus and have a conversation. He, he was respectful. He even said rabbi. He called him rabbi, which was a, a sign of respect and putting him kind of in a place of, of authority and teaching over him. And then he said, we, talking about him and the Pharisees that he was talking to, his, his, his bros, right? He said, we know that you're a, a powerful uh, miracle worker. We know that the signs that you're doing can only be from God, right? And he's wanting to have a conversation. He doesn't go into any more detail than that. But God, of course, through Jesus, right? Jesus as God knows his heart. And, and he, said, he just cuts to the chase. He says, listen, if, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So, so, and that wasn't even asked. But that's what was on the Pharisee's heart. He's like, I, I want to I be in the God's kingdom. I want to experience it and live it. And in fact, I'm expecting it here and now. So let's talk about this, Rabbi. Let's see what you think about it. Because I know what I think about it. I've made my decisions. I've made my uh, positions clear. And we, we worked out this whole legal, legal system that, that I am just I'm a t- at the top of my game. And Jesus said, you can't have confidence in the flesh. It's not about your game. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus and his authority and what he's accomplished there. So he talks about, and he says last week was, you must be born again. So this week we're going to look at what does being born again, born again look like. And we, he started with a rebuke, and we'll see that in a minute. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read the passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, we'll read through 21. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful that you love us. God, we're grateful for your word. And God, there are times I know in my own life where, God, I... I take it for granted, right? I just read it because it's there, and I don't read it for the beauty and power that's, that's within. So God, today as we open your scriptures, may you open our hearts and our minds to be renewed, to be receptive. God, to be challenged and changed by it. God, we want you to teach us. We want you to well up in us joy because of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. So God, lead us to the place we need to be and lead us to respond the way we need to respond. We give you this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read the text beginning in verse 11 of John chapter 3. And, and I'll, I'll, read the, I'll read verse 10. That was the rebuke Jesus had last time because he says, you must be born again to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, how can, how can these things be? So today we're answering that question, how can these things be? And, and, but Jesus, before he says that, he says, are, are you a teacher, a, a great teacher of Israel and don't know these things? He says, how, this is crazy that you... Nicodemus should understand what I'm talking about if you really claim to be this great teacher who's learned in these, in these things. And we'll see why today. So we pick up in verse 11. Truly I tell you, 
We speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So we're going to break that apart today and and really uh, take a look uh, more deeply in this conversation. So Jesus, in this conversation now, again, is giving an explanation of what it is to be born again. What, what does it mean, being born again? Last week we saw that we must be born again. Now he answers, how? How does that work? And we saw last week, he said, it's a, it's a power of the Spirit. It's not about you and your flesh or confidence in what you've accomplished. It's about God's Spirit working in you, convicting you, convincing you of the truth and your need for Him. So now he explains this in more depth. So we see the first part in John 1, uh, 11 through 13. Being born again, we must, number one, accept the greatest authority. We must accept the greatest authority. We don't have a lot of greatest today, but one is accept the greatest authority. We see in verses 11 to 13, Jesus says, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Now let me stop you for a minute there. The hours and the we's. Like Jesus is, is we in an hour and that's what he's doing right now. And, and so the question is why? He's speaking singularly to Nicodemus. But remember, Nicodemus came up to him and said, hey, we know, we, my buddies and I, know that you're, you're an amazing, powerful person probably from God. So we're kind of checking you out a little more, or at least I am. Maybe they didn't want me to, but I needed to because I seek the truth. But Jesus responds back and says, we. And, and it's important to understand why. When Jesus says we, he's not just saying, I'm the end-all authority, which he is. He's saying, not only am I the end-all authority, People you know, people you trust, people you go back to have said the same thing. He says, he says we. He says, uh, I, tell you, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify and to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Who, so who's the we? Well, most recently, the we was John the baptizer who came saying, Here, here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. You've got to believe in him. Repent and be, and be saved. That was a we, and they, they saw the testimony. They saw what was going on there. They, this was powerful, right? This was a man that was the, prophet, the, uh, the fulfilled prophecy of Malachi at the end of Malachi. And, or, and now we have this uh, other we, right? Who else is we? We're going to see in a few minutes Moses, right? We just, we just read about Moses when Jesus said that. But you have Moses who testifies about Christ and foreshadows Christ. And then before that, you have Abraham, who, who these, these Pharisees all consider themselves, we are sons of Abraham. We are part of the promised covenant people of God. We know Abraham. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know Abraham too. Right? Father Abraham, I'm his father, right? I'm, I'm the one. You're not listening to me. And, and if you're not listening to me, it means you're not listening to Abraham either. So Jesus is making sure to understand, like, it's not just my authority and my perspective. 
everything you know before that has cried out in the same manner. So he says, we. And what does he say there? He says, all, all of us, we, our testimony is out there, but you do not accept our testimony. It's so important if we're to be born again. Being born again means we accept the greatest authority. Not only our forefathers, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and Moses, and so on, and everything in Genesis, and David, and on and on, but we accept John the Baptizer's testimony. We accept Christ's testimony. We accept that. We accept the greatest authority. That is God. And not only God, it's God in Christ from heaven. He says, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe them, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He's like, you're having a hard time making sense of earthly things, right? What's the flesh and what's not the flesh and what's, what's the spirit? Then he says, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What does he say? Not, not only do you have all of this other testimony, not only do you have all of these others saying the same thing about me, you have me. And who's me? I'm God that has come from heaven down to earth to tell you that you need me. It's not just, oh, Abraham said. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm from heaven. This is, this is a message sent from heaven. This is a rescue mission from heaven. I wasn't just born in, in Bethlehem and lived in Nazareth and grew up. I am the God of the universe who put on flesh. I'm the great I am. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm from heaven, and, and the authority is right before your eyes. So Nicodemus, he was, he was desiring this honest conversation, but he was still a little hesitant, like the others, to see Christ as the authority on this subject, or, and probably more importantly, they didn't really want to change or replace their way of thinking or behaving. Like last week we said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was like, I don't want to start over. I've, I've, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. I'm at the pinnacle of my game. I'm the best in what I do. I'm the great teacher of Israel. Why would I want to start fresh, start over, be born again? Because you got it wrong, Nicodemus. You got it wrong. So he didn't want to change his way of thinking. He was open to conversation. But there's a contrast here. Of course, these Pharisees who thought they were at the pinnacle of their game did not want to hear and listen because they thought they had it. But the people knew the difference. The people actually, in, in Matthew 7, it says this, in 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, again, his teaching, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were saying, uh, they were astonished because he was teaching them like one who had authority. And, and not, that's not even, the, the, here's a cherry on top, right? He was teaching as one who had authority, not like the scribes. See, there's a contrast in what the scribes taught and what they believed and what they set up and the burdens they placed on people. And Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. I'll, I'll, the burden is to come believe in me. Not to continue to try to fulfill the law, which you cannot fulfill. Only I can totally do that. The, the authority was all Christ, and he taught with authority. And not only had Christ come from heaven, but he had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We see that in Matthew 28. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's why he said, like, I'm the only one that's gone to heaven and come back. I, I'm here. From heaven, and all authority is mine. So for you and I to be born again, Jesus is saying you must accept the greatest authority. And which, which also means this, you must reject any other authority. Right? If it's, if it's not from Christ, if it's not of Christ, if it's not promoting Christ in his word, it is no authority of God at all. And we tend to believe a lot of different authorities. And we tend to lead to believe, be led to believe a lot of different authorities, right? And sometimes we just see it and we believe it. Test it against the scriptures. 
embrace the greatest authority, accept the greatest authority. Number two, he goes on in this conversation, being born again, he says, you have to understand the greatest necessity. So now he's going to connect these dots, and he says this in John 13, or 3, uh, 14 and 15, going on in our text. He's still having the conversation with Nicodemus. He just said, we. Who's the we he's talking about? Well, he talks about Moses right here. So he, he connects the dots for Nicodemus. He says, just as, he's making a comparison, just as Moses, right, the we I was just talking about, who you embraced, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So again, he's connecting the dots for Nicodemus. He's bringing up this story that Nicodemus absolutely should know and should teach from the Scripture. So let's turn there together to Numbers chapter 21. Keep your ribbon or your finger right here in John 3, but let's go to Numbers 21. And I have to, I have to be honest with you. As I, as I read this and I, as I've grown up with this story, um, until I've read the account from Jesus referring back to it, it, it now, it's, now it's come to life for me. I should say now, now in my Christian life, right? Uh, when I was young, I didn't really connect it. And probably like Nicodemus, he sees a story as, oh, well, that was interesting. Good thing they had a, had a solution there. But what it foreshadowed was the same need that all of us have and, this, and, and a solution that all of us must, uh, must have as, for the remedy. So we're in Numbers chapter 21. You can read 4 through 9 later on, but I'm going to read 7 and on. There was some sin in the camp. God sent snakes uh, into, the, into the camp to bite people. And they were, they were starting to get sick and die from this. And people came to Moses in verse 7. Said, they came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. So he said, intercede with the Lord so that, that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he'll recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on the pole. And whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. Now, it, Again, even reading it like that, it's like, oh, that's, that's an interesting story, an interesting kind of little chapter in there that week, right? That they did something real bad. God sent snakes in. They were, they were bitten poison. And if they looked at the serpent on the pole, they, were, they recovered. It's a little deeper than that. Because it's just as Moses did that, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is, a, this is huge. It's a huge connection here. See, there was a great need for Moses to lift up the serpent in the wilderness because that was God's remedy for his serpent-poisoned people. Do you understand? And why would we use serpent? That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Well, we just started the Bible project, reading through the Bible. We've read, read or we, will, we will read this in Numbers, but we read Genesis 1, or Genesis 2, Genesis 3, the creation count, and then the temptation, right? What did it say? The, and the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had created. And the serpent went to Adam and Eve, and what did the serpent do? He tempted them, and, and, and Eve bit of the apple and the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Adam shared that fruit, right? And what happened? Basically, this big snake bite happened, and they were poisoned. And they were, then sin entered the world, and death entered the world. So there's a great need for Moses to lift up the snake in the wilderness so people could see that that's the remedy for his snake-poisoned people. In the same way, Jesus must be lifted up for us who are a sin-poisoned world as well. And really, the lifting up of the servant was, the, was meant to attract the eye of the perishing to the remedy, that they might look and live. They would look in faith and they would live. And we have to understand the greatest necessity is for us to look to Jesus and live. Why? Because 
of our sin. That we all too have been snake bit. We all too are in sin and we all too are perishing apart from Christ. We desperately need the Savior who is going to be lifted up on that tree. Why? Romans tells us because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a promise there. Yes, the wages of sin is death. We've all been snake bit. We've all are, we're all destined to, be, to perish because of our sin. But God is on a rescue mission. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we look to him for life. You may not think you've been bitten, but you have. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So this was amazing foreshadowing. Talking about Moses to Nicodemus was this foreshadowing about looking to Christ for our salvation. And, and here's the truth. No matter how horribly bit they were or how many times they'd been bitten or how sick they were, the opportunity for salvation was there. Even the most degraded and miserable sinner who looks to Christ in faith will be saved. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's like, you want to be born again? First, accept my authority. Right? You have to accept my authority as who I am. And then you need to understand there is a great need that you have. The greatest necessity is salvation from your sin, from the punishment and wages of sin. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus knew that this would speak to the heart and to the understanding of Nicodemus. Like, it resonated. Like, oh, Moses, oh, I can, I can see that. I can connect those dots. And, and it, it probably welled up in him like, oh, wow. That story meant more than I thought it did. But, but fast forward in Nicodemus' life, because I don't think Nicodemus had a conversion here. I think he was having a conversation with Christ, and, and Christ was penetrating his heart. But fast forward. Imagine what Nicodemus must have thought once Christ was actually crucified and lifted up on that cross. Imagine what he must have thought and, and what must have thought back to that conversation with Jesus that, that night. Oh, wow. Jesus has just been lifted up. It, it's, this is more dire than I thought it was. I must be born again. I must look to him and live. And we see that Nicodemus does become a man of faith. In fact, Nicodemus helps, once Christ is crucified, helps take him down and take him and bury him. The same guy that went by night now publicly claims Christ as Savior. See, through his own death, Jesus has given us the opportunity for new birth, to look on him and live. And, and he said it was necessary, even to his disciples. When, when Jesus was about to be crucified, and, and it was like a Passion Week, uh, it said from now on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him. This is Matthew 16. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. It was necessary for him to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. It was necessary for him to be killed, and it was necessary for him to be raised the third day. Why? Because we are all sinful and separated from God and in need of a Savior that is not ourselves. So what did he do? He came on that rescue mission and laid himself down. How? Galatians tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse, from the snake bite, by becoming a curse for us. He took on the wrath of God. He took on the death that we deserved when he died on the cross. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus took the curse. He took the bite. But because he's God, he rose victoriously, conquering Satan once and for all. So this is an opportunity for new birth. 
It's possible through faith in Christ because he took our infected nature upon himself and gives us redemption and a new nature through faith in Jesus Christ. But I want us to be clear about something, that, that not only is it about Jesus saying the Son of Man will be lifted up on the cross, and if we look to him in faith, repentant faith, we'll have salvation. It's also about the exaltation of Christ. See, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he knows that Nicodemus is someone who's like, I can do it myself. I can, I can do this all on my own. But it's not just about being lifted up for our salvation. It's about his exaltation. And, he, and here's how that, how that looks. I, for me as a parent, and maybe for you too, we tend to, although we don't get up in the morning and say, I'm in charge today, I'm the authority, we think Jesus is, uh, sometimes we, our attitude says differently. We, come, we get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to do the very best I can. I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. I can handle this load. I can carry it. I'll take care of it. Even after Jesus has saved us. Like, I can do it. I'm strong enough. But what, what Jesus is saying is, no, you're not, Nicodemus. You need to get over yourself and your own abilities, even your own uh, ability to follow the law and the rules that I've set for you. You can't do it on your own. You need me. And in, in order for Christ to be, be trusted in faith, we have to humble ourselves, right? We have to humble ourselves and say, I have a need for Jesus. The need is I'm a sinner, and I'll only be saved by his grace, and i got to look to him in faith. But then after that is the need to continue to exalt him as the only way, as the way, the truth, and the life. But think about what happens. Like with my kids, like they'll want to they'll do something. I'm like, oh, let me, let me help you with that. No, no, Dad, I'll do it. I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. They want, they want to increase, and they want me to decrease. Like, Dad, get out of the way. And I know it's just going to get worse and worse as they get older. No big deal, right? Probably how I am with my dad right now, right? So I, I, I get that. But with God, it, it needs to be different for all of us. We treat God the same way. Okay, God, you saved me. Thanks. Now, now get out of the way and let me figure this out on my own. I can do this. I can handle this. I'll take it on myself. God's like, that, that's not what I want. Because see what happens to this. When we treat God that way, when we go into our life saying, listen, I can carry the load. I can achieve. I can accomplish. I can look good enough. How does that make God look to the people around us? Less. It makes God look like less. Like I really don't need him that much. And what God wants is not only to be elevated and lifted up on a tree and crucified so that we could be saved through faith in him. He wants our lives to continue to be humiliated or humbled to the place where all we do is exalt him. And when we say, God, I still need you more and more and more and more, he just gets exalted more and more and more. As we, as we decrease, he'll increase. So for some of us, we need to decrease more so God can be exalted. Not, he was, he's already been exalted in your heart on a cross, and you've believed, but let him be exalted in your life so that people can see the exalted, glorious one that is Jesus Christ. It, it's in Philippians 2 we see this, this humil humility of God. Philippians 2, 7 through 11 uh, it said Jesus, he, he emptied himself, he, God, Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So Jesus wasn't a man in heaven with God before he came to earth. Jesus came and put on flesh. Right, The Son of God came and put on flesh, and now he's Jesus. So he took on the form and likeness of, of, of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, so we can look to him and have faith. And then for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, I want to decrease so that every tongue will confess that he is Lord. 
that everyone will see that he's the glorious one, that everyone will see that he has accomplished what I need. I want my life to reflect that. See, his being lifted up is not only for our salvation, it's for his exaltation. The illustration here about Moses is great, not only because it tells us of the necessity of looking at Jesus by faith and having salvation, but it also suggests what is not the necessity. And what is not the necessity is more of you. What is not the necessity is for you to do better, for you to figure it out. And that's where we lean. Like the Israelites, it's quite natural, right, for us to we attempt to, to counteract the poison of sin and, the, and that shame. We counteract it on our own. That's self-exaltation. It's making more of us and saying, I can figure it out. I can do it. But, but if, we're, if that's left unchecked, if our heart is left unchecked there, uh, we will be occupied all our lives trying to figure it out on our own. And we will end up dead with no hope and no cure because we didn't have hope in Jesus. We ought to exalt Jesus and believe in Jesus. So Jesus here again is answering Nicodemus's question, how can someone be born again? Well, it's, it's by accepting the greatest authority, but then you have to understand the greatest necessity in your heart. We, and, and in doing that, we give up our dependence on ourselves to fix it. We give up on our cleverness. We give up on our self-improvement. We give up on our plans of becoming more religious, and we just look to him in faith. When we humble ourselves and look to him in faith, not only are we saved, but he is exalted. Number three, going into this talk about being born again, we see this. You must receive the greatest love. You must receive the greatest love. Jesus is having a conversation about how off Nicodemus is and about how off you and I might be. It's a conversation. But he comes and says, there's a great love that I have for you, and I'm here because of love. So he goes on in verse 16 through 18. Here's what Jesus says. Famous, famous verse, right? Most famous verse in the Bible. John three sixteen. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, now listen here. There's, there's a really great connection here. For God loved the world in this way. How? That he gave. He gave his one and only Son. This was a rescue mission again from heaven. He gave his one and only son. Then there's two categories. Those who believe in him or those who don't believe in him, right? Anyone who believes in him will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. That means those who don't believe in him will perish. That's kind of harsh. Well, he goes on to clear that up. He says, God did not send his son. And this interesting word, send, is connected to, to gave. He gave his son. In what way did he give his son? He sent his son. This father sent his son. He didn't just allow his son to die. He sent his son to die. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. That's interesting, right? Because so many people think, oh, the judgment, oh, those Christians are harsh. I can't believe their, their attitude towards sinners, and I'm just, I'm nothing. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, why can he say that? Because he is the judge. He's the ultimate authority and final say. Well, it goes on. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. That's great to know. He didn't come to condemn, but anyone who believes is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is, what does it say? Not just condemned, already condemned. Your disbelief, your unbelief in Jesus does not equal future condemnation. You and I already stand condemned before a holy God because of sin. 
Do you understand what a rescue mission is? It wasn't a mission of condemnation. Jesus did not come saying, listen, I'm going to come to earth. You've really messed up. I've given you the Bible. I've given you these prophets and all these, and you just can't get it. So I'm going to come. I'm going to tell you how to be better. I'm going to tell you how to even follow it even more clearly. I'm going to make it super, super simple for you. I'll, I'll spell it out again, whatever it needs, so then you can, you can get your act together. Or else. That's not what he said. He said, holy cow, these people have sinned so greatly and are so far from me that they are going to perish in their sin and be separated from me forever. So I'm going to go rescue them now. And that is way different. Jesus didn't come to condemn and say, look how bad you are. Just figure it out. Shape up. He come and, say, he come and said, listen, you're all condemned because of your sin. So I'm here to rescue you from the condemnation of your sin. Anyone who believes in me is not condemned. If you don't believe, you're already condemned. Let's see what else that says there. He says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because, why is he condemned? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Wait, wait, these things are written so that I would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, I would have life in his name and not be condemned any longer. First John tells us that God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to condemn us. No, he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know what Jesus did? He came on a rescue mission to take the condemnation that you and I deserve, to take it upon his shoulders. He died the death that I deserve to die. He died the death that you deserved to die. Not to condemn, but that we could believe in what he's doing as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 15, 13 says, No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This was a rescue mission from heaven. And from before the foundations of the world, this was the plan, was to rescue. And I want us to understand something about this. Some people get this little, little uh, it's unclear. Well, Jesus was born about 30 years earlier than this. And, and so he, that's when God decided to start the rescue mission. He had this, this baby born miraculously. And, and he grew up and lived a great life under the power of the Spirit. And then he died. And then God raised him from the dead. And then he elevated, then God elevated him to sit alongside of him at the right hand of God. No, no, that's, that's, that's part of the story. But you're leaving out the fact that, that that baby born was actually the son of God putting on human flesh. And the son of God is equal with the Father and the Spirit, right? We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they all three are equally God, although they are not each other. They coexist equally as God. Now, how can we figure that out? I, I don't think we're ever going to fully fathom that until heaven. But what we do know is the Son was not just a creation of the Father. The Son had always existed. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. And we've gone back to this several times throughout this series, uh, throughout this kind of this chunk of the series. It's been an amazing kind of maybe a, a beacon or a, or a gravity towards this, uh, this prologue in John 1 when John the Apostle writes this. And, and it, the, the words he used here is by no accident. He says, in the beginning was the Word. What, what's that sound like to you? In the beginning, sounds like creation, Genesis chapter 1. He, he takes the words from Genesis 1 and says, let's talk about Jesus now. So he says, in the beginning, 
was the Word. And we know that later the Word is the Son of God. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and, and Jesus was God. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's interesting. It's not just that Jesus was born at a time in history, and we could trace his date to there. No, that's not it. He's always existed. He was with God in the beginning. In fact, all things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So he's talking about this creation story, isn't he? And what he's saying is, hey, remember that creation story? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the, of the deep, and the Spirit of God was what? Hovering over the waters. So we see in Genesis, and it says in the beginning, God, that's Elohim, it's a plural form of God. In the beginning, God created. We see that God, the Father, is there. We see God, the Holy Spirit, is there. And now John tells us who else was there. God, the Son, was there. In fact, that nothing that was created could have been created without the Son. Then it goes on, down in verse 10. He, that's the Word, Jesus, he was in the world. And the world was created through him, and yet yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So listen, this this is where it gets really important. For you and I, we have to understand, we have to receive the greatest love. The greatest love is that God gave his Son by sending his Son on a rescue mission to die in your place and in mine. And to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were not born of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or will of man, but the will of God. This is going back to Nicodemus's question. How can, I, how can I be born again? Can I have to enter back into my mother's womb? No, it's not about the fleshly birth. It's about new birth, spiritual birth, the birth and work from the will of God. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. We've observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Being born again means we must believe and receive the greatest love that's found in Jesus Christ, the God of all glory, put on flesh so he could die for you and for me. And that through faith in Christ, you and I could have salvation. That leads us to number four. Being born again, we avoid the greatest judgment. We avoid the greatest judgment. And we just talked about this, right? We, the, the, God didn't come to condemn the world. We're already condemned. And there's already judgment for that. The wages of sin is death. That we will not only physically die, but spiritually die and be separated from God for all eternity because of our sin. We have been snake bit and poisoned, and we must look to Christ for the cure. And when we look to Christ for the cure, being born again means we avoid the greatest judgment. Let's carry on here in John chapter 3, 19 and 21 through 21. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So there's this judgment that Jesus refers to. He is the light, and actually John, the portion in John 1 we didn't read was talking about the light coming into the world, the darkness not overcoming it. But there is deep judgment For those who love the darkness of spiritual death rather than the light of spiritual life. And the question is, what keeps us from the light? 
Well, he answers that. Everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. When we know we're evil, when we know we really can't measure up, even if we try and pretend to, we hate the light. We hate being exposed. We hate, we hate God being right about us because we hate the feeling that that causes. Maybe that shame or that guilt. We, and, we, and we bury it. Instead of saying, let, let it be exposed and let God carry that shame and guilt. When, when he went to the cross, he took the shame. He took the guilt so we didn't have to. You think about the idea of being a part of the kingdom of God. What he's telling Nicodemus is this. If you love the darkness, which you came to me in, you approached me at night in the darkness, Nicodemus. If you love the darkness, you're going to be unfit for the kingdom of God. Now, I think Nicodemus came for certain reasons in the dark, but it also revealed that he wasn't ready to fully be exposed. He could have that conversation in the dark. Jesus couldn't quite see his face and see his expressions. Maybe he felt more protected spiritually that way. But to love the light as shown in the face of Christ is to desire more than anything. More than anything, to be right with God, despite the opinions of others and despite your own thoughts or own deceitful heart. See, there's a deep humility that must take place if we are to walk in the light of Christ. The question is, are we hating the light or are we coming to it freely and walking in it? I want to read a couple couple passages out of John 5, and I would encourage you, uh, in, in your discussion time or your, your own personal time, read, read all of John 5 because it really ties into this. I want to read a couple highlight verses, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. That's great, right? We hear the words, we believe. We're passing from condemnation and judgment into life. But he goes on and he, he rebukes these teachers and, and he says, you, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. And here's what it goes on to say. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You see that humility of heart that we have to get to, that place that says, you know what? Exposed or not, I am going to be willing to come to Christ for life. And that's what it means to repent. Is to turn away from your own pride, your own ego, your own sin, what you're holding on to and say, I'm, I'm holding on to nothing. I'm going to come to him. I'm willing to come to him and be totally exposed for who I am, but I'm willing to come to him and believe and have life. And he challenges them later in verse 44. He says, how can you believe? And, and here's what holds us back too. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Isn't that true of us? We, we want to look good around other people. We want to be attaboyed and attagirled from others. We want to be built up and look better and, and be esteemed in a better light, almost to a fault where we say, I'm better than you. Jesus says, how, how can you come to me and find life? How can you humble yourself if that's what you're worried about? If you don't seek the glory that comes from Christ, knowing that I, there's a necessity, and God knows my heart. He's already exposed it, and I need him. Well, it's a change of heart, isn't it? The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. To search me, God, in a humble way, in a humble place. Hopefully this will be your prayer and my prayer as well. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. See, the, the remedy of the greatest judgment is, is you and I looking to Christ 
and trusting in his greatest love. I, I want to, before I finish up here, I want to read, this was in one of the commentaries, and it just kind of summed up what, what Christ was saying here. He, it summed up John 3.16. And, and I talked about this being, you know, a, a sermon of the greatest, right? Well, here, here's John 3.16. God, the greatest love, so loved to the greatest degree the world, the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, that whoever, the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simplicity, in him, the greatest attraction, should not perish, the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. When he talks to Nicodemus, he says, listen, uh, you may have heard this over and over that these things point to me and talk about me and they're written that you believe in me. But it's because I am the greatest treasure and eternal life is the greatest possession you can have. So look to me. I want to finish up with this verse out of Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Amen. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we, we're amazed at who you are. And, and God, we are at times so underwhelmed by that. God, I, I pray that you would increase in us a passion and excitement for the Messiah. That God, he... He is the greatest authority, that we would accept him as the greatest authority, that we would understand how desperate we are, that the greatest necessity is forgiveness of our sin, and God, that we would receive him as, as the greatest love, as the greatest treasure, as the greatest gift, and in doing so, we avoid the greatest judgment that we all deserve. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But God, we know that if we do not believe, we are already condemned. So God, I pray for those who are here today that, that don't know you as Savior, who haven't trusted you as Savior, that they would put their faith and hope in Jesus, that they would understand how deeply bit they are and poisoned by sin, and they would look to the risen Savior who not only died on a cross but rose victoriously conquering death, and they would trust him for their salvation. And God, for us who, who have heard this afresh, anew, God, that we would rejoice in it that it would well up in us and an understanding that our salvation is not based on us, it's based on you. And while we want to obey you and want to follow you and want to live holy, God, it is not a requirement for our salvation. You have done everything necessary. And now, God, we outflow and respond to you faithfully in obedience. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we sing